This is the Frogcast. Welcome to the Frogcast. It's been about 10 days since you have heard for us. We have had a lot happen. We've had our first national signing day. The Frogs won the Alamo Bowl 39-37, to and we are already rolling with the 2019 class. We are going to talk about that and so much more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, tonight i got Jeremy and i got Daniel with me. We are excited to uh, dig into all this. Guys, how are you doing tonight? It's great, man. It's been a uh, it's been a long holiday season, actually. It seems like it's been two months since I've talked to you guys. Yeah, it feels like it's been a while. Daniel, you doing well? Doing good, doing good. Just uh, hanging in there, uh, kind of recovering from, like Jeremy said, it's been a long holiday season. Um, lots going on, and uh, but yeah, it feels like it's been a, a really long time, even though it kind of hadn't. Just what the week before the bowl game, I guess. That's right. We, That's no? right. Yep. Yeah, but no, it sure feels like it, but it's uh, it's good to be back. It is good to be back. You know, we're gonna we're just gonna do a quick hit here on the Alamo Bowl. It feels like like three weeks ago, um, but in some ways, it feels like almost two years ago. The Frogs fall behind, um, get a double digit uh, deficit at halftime, down twenty one three at one point, and then they just come storming back. And TCU gets a big win in the Alamo Bowl over a quality opponent, likely going to end up in the top ten. Hopefully, Frogs win thirty nine thirty seven. Jeremy, just watching this game, like what are what are one or two t- uh, takeaways, great memories you're gonna you're gonna have from this game and getting a big win over a Pac-12 team? Well, I thought uh, really when you look at a game like this, you've got to look at the top and look at the quarterback. I thought Kenny struggled really bad early on, um, but I was so happy for him the way he finished. It's, you know, they always say it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And anyone that says Kenny just played a bad game is out of their mind. Kenny came out there and he really saved one of his best games of the season for the last. I mean, he ended up with 401 total yards, four touchdowns. He's the only, he's the only college football player this year uh, that has thrown a touchdown pass in the game, ran a touchdown pass and caught a touchdown pass all in the same game. And he did it twice. And, and for him to really just remain calm and, and uh, lead the team the way he did in the second half, he was making some really good throws, good decisions, um, used his feet well, and that was one thing I took away from the game. Another thing, I, I was really happy to see a guy like Desmond White go out and finish the way he did. The punt return he had was a game changer, and and uh, he just was was another player that, through all the odds, I mean, the guy's five foot six, one hundred and fifty pounds, soaking wet, to go out there and, and really have a game the way he did against Stanford and their defense and, and their special teams are good special teams. Uh, I was real happy for him. So two, uh, two seniors riding off into the sunset playing, playing a really good football game and helping the frogs win. Yeah. You got to feel good for, for uh, Desmond and for, for Kenny. Those are two guys those are two high school football legends in the state of Texas. And to see them shine on this big stage, I was really glad to, to have, for them to have that moment for the frogs to get a win. Daniel, what are some of the other highlights from this game that really stick out to you as something to celebrate? Uh, the thing that sticks out the most, and it, I had to watch this game again today because I for, it's been so long, I forgot most of it. And of course, I pretty much intentionally forgot the first half because it was it was kind of bad. Um, but not all of it, just most of it. Uh, but the thing that just I think is the greatest is um, 
whenever that was later in the game, it was in the second half, Kenny's just bomb and dropped a dime into Rager, who then even accelerated somehow even more and just hauled it down the field. And, you know, for Kenny, who's struggled with passing, you know, a lot and, you know, everyone talks about all he can do is these short passes and if he throws off his back foot, blah, blah, blah. That was the perfect pass. And it was cool that in his last game he would, you know, finally just just on a go route, uh, just drop one in there and, you know, for a touchdown. I don't know. I think that was really, really cool. The other thing was um, I liked, um, um, I guess, Shewo, um really looked sharp there in the later part of the game. Um, something I've been kind of waiting to see from him. It's kind of like he's really coming around. And same thing with uh, Collier. I think that looks promising for next year. Yeah, that was the best game Shea was played as a te- as a as a horn frog. Shea, he just looked good running the ball. He was able to you know really square his shoulders up and get north and south. In in the back that I think um, Sonny and, and and Patterson see him becoming over the next two two years, he was able to be in that game. That was a great moment. Last guy I want to highlight as we wrap up this you know quick hit on the Alma Bowl. Jeremy, tell us about in his gains. You know he had a moment to end the game with the interception where he wrapped up uh, Stanford's drive and ended it for him and kind of wrapped the game up. And then go back to two years ago where he was kind of recorded himself being so excited as the frogs won the game as he was a, or as a commit getting ready to come on campus what did you think about that for Ennis Gaines to have those kind of parallel moments there to go from 15 to you know the 15 season to the 17 season to see it all converge there yeah that was pretty cool to see because he had a he had a pretty good game I know he didn't have a perfect game but overall I think frog fans are really excited to see what he can do in the next two years as a starter I think he's going to be the starter next year in either week or at strong but Man, it's just pretty cool because everyone that remembers the game last year when when the Frogs came all the way back, they're leading 47-41 in last play of the game. Uh, Denzel bats the ball down. Well, Ennis Gaines, for for those who don't know, was filming with his phone uh, as it was happening on live TV. And as soon as Denzel batted the ball down, he goes berserk. And it was really cool to see him go through that moment because back then you didn't have early signing periods, so he was still uncommitted and everyone was talking about how great this player is that TCU's getting that's so much under the radar and then 24-7 makes him into a four-star player and then Texas comes into the picture so at that point everyone was really excited about Ennis and his emotion um, for that win and it was at that point that I knew there was no way Ennis was not going to be a TCU Horn Frog but it was really cool to see that thing come full circle two years later here it is TCU's trying to secure the win they've got a big third or fourth down. I can't remember the the guy, you know, Costello throws it over the middle and there it is in his gains getting the interception. He runs off the field. He's going berserk and, and crazy. And man, it was, it was, it was pretty cool to see that whole thing come full circle two years ago. He's going crazy as his Denzel, Denzel Johnson bats the ball down and, two years later he's he's the one uh, securing the win for them so that was pretty cool see to see yeah, that was a great moment. I love seeing kids from Southeast Texas do well. Uh, also, Ennis Gaines, uh, good, good for you, buddy. That was a great moment to see those those two things converge. You know, we've already re- mentioned it, but it does feel like it's a you know three weeks ago. It was just a week, you know, less than a week ago by the time we're recording this. We got the Rose Bowl where uh, Oklahoma came up just short in double overtime against uh, Georgia. Alabama pulls in Alabama and just kind of you know strangulates uh, what what Dan Rubenstein calls crockpots. Clemson. I don't know if I've thought of a national title game where I'm less excited 
but I am just not excited about this game. Um, I wish Oklahoma was in it. I'll, I'll just admit that. I wish I wish Baker Mayfield was playing and that he could light up that Alabama defense. I wish Mike Stoops would have gotten fired the day that Bob Stoops uh, stepped down. But uh, am I the only one that's just not excited about the national title game? You know, I'm not either. Uh, I'm a big college football fanatic, too. I, I love college football. I watch college football seven out of seven days over pro football. I have no interest in pro football, to be honest with you. But I, I was I was scratching my head so much at the end of that Oklahoma-Georgia game because it seemed – and Lincoln Riley's taken a, a lot of heat up there in Norman because his play calling toward the end of the game and in overtime, Terrible. I, don't know how, I don't know how you take the ball out of the best player in college football's hand. Um, he, he did not – he, he the, the play calls were, were crazy. And – there's our uh, good buddy up on ESPN coach's film room, just dissecting it. And we got to talk about how coach Patterson was. I mean, he was, he was the story <laughs> outside of that game. He was the story from coast to coast on the way he was dissecting both uh, teams, playbooks and, and uh, the strategies and just analyzing everything that they were doing. But yeah, it, it is kind of just answer your question, Jeff. I, I am kind of, uh, I'm not really enthused with the, Georgia, Alabama, not not only because it's two SEC teams, you got to hear all the SEC people stick their or see them stick out their chest a little bit further and talk about how great the SEC is. And for the, for for Big Twelve fans, I know a lot of Texas fans and uh, you know some TCU fans didn't necessarily want to see Oklahoma win anyway, which I couldn't understand if you're a big 12 fan I, I would love to see uh, Oklahoma playing the national championship then that way you could for TCU fans you could have said well hey we lost to the national champion two two times this year I mean that's how good Oklahoma was they won the national championship but uh, yeah I I'm not really excited for this game to be honest with you you know, I'm not either. I'm not excited about it, and, and I, I did want Oklahoma in there. I, I wanted Oklahoma to play Alabama, and I wanted Oklahoma to beat Alabama. I mean, if those are your two choices, give me Oklahoma because, in you know, the transitive property that it will help the Big 12. I want to secure Big 12, and I think Oklahoma winning the title this year, which I think they could have done, would have been helpful. But, man, I do not get those play calls at the end of the game. That is a... Uh, that was that was a questionable that was a questionable couple of series. I got I got four or five plays: a squib kick, um, uh, trying to run coast to coast against uh, Georgia, taking the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hand. Not wise moves, in my opinion. And um, I'm glad I just kind of have to comment on it rather than be a fan of that team because that was that's kind of crazy. Daniel, yeah, the second Oklahoma lost, I, I really became a fan of Clemson because I, I like Dabo Sweeney I do too. I like Dabo, and, and the way Alabama just put it on them. I was just, and. and it, if there's a rooting interest in this game, I'm definitely going for Georgia. Um, I'd, I'd like to see them win it. I like I like Jake Fromm. I like the running backs. I mean, they've it, and it's a team TCU played last year. It is it's kind of cool to see because a lot of people were watching that Liberty Bowl last year and, and looking at TCU, looking at Georgia, and you can see the the. Uh, chance for both teams to be good i mean georgia had a lot of guys you knew they were coming back for this year that were on that team last year and even jacob Eason, and he, he gets hurt in the first game of the year then here comes jake from and then he's from and he's he's starting the rest of the way and, and jacob Eason, everyone's talking about how he's going to transfer but it's pretty cool to watch them play tcu last year and now the same team that both the both those teams the liberty bowl last year have had very successful teams i mean tcu wins 11 games 
Georgia, I don't know how many – are they 12 or 13 wins right now and have a chance for the national championship. So pretty cool to see both those teams uh, improve the way they did. Yeah, that was great to see, see, to see the trajectory of those teams from the Liberty Bowl. Well, let's just get us on the record here. Daniel, Georgia, Alabama, what's your prediction? Don't care. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 I don't care, but I want to care. I wish I did care, but I hate ESPN. They ruin everything. Okay. So, but I, I, I want to say I'm going to go with uh, Georgia 27, Alabama 21. I can pull for that. I can pull for that. JC, who you got? Even though I want Georgia to win, I think it's going to be Alabama. I think they win 17 to 13, something, something low scoring. Yeah, I'm going to go Alabama 24, 21, and I'll probably fall asleep by 930 on the chair in my chair. So that's kind of what I think is going to happen. Oh, well, some people will say the game Monday, and I know some of you might be listening to this after the game, but, uh, some people say the game money doesn't even decide the national championship because the national championship was decided in the Peach Bowl where UCF, University of Central Florida, defeated Auburn, the same Auburn that had beaten Alabama, the same Auburn that had pounded Georgia. UCF is claiming a national championship, having a parade through Disneyland, having a celebration in Orlando. Scott Frost has, has popped off a couple of times since uh, at, at these award Coaches of the Year uh, ceremonies where he's re- received the Eddie Robinson Award, an award that Coach Patterson has won. And he just, you know, dead eye right at the playoff committee and said they hate UCF, they don't respect these teams. And I think this is kind of a weird, uh, weird spot for them to be in. I just want to say for the record, I love that they're doing this. I love that UCF is is building their own brand and putting the spotlight on them. I'm glad that they're going to hang a banner and sell T-shirts. I think that's kind of cool. Um, but there's also the downside of it is that they didn't really beat anybody this season. I know they beat Memphis twice. I know they beat US, uh, USF. But, Jeremy, what do you think about the UCF story and, and all of the, of the angles of, of this situation of hanging a banner to be a national champion? I love the fact that they – are proud of their accomplishments. I mean, they, they did have a great season. I mean, it's very, very tough to go undefeated in today's age of college football. I don't care who you're playing. It's you're, you're playing against um, some very good athletes. I mean, I think we can all agree that the parody in college football is it, it's getting closer and closer. I mean, if you look at the big 12, look at the parody in the big 12 now. I mean, it's just, it, it's really besides a couple teams besides Kansas and Baylor this past year, there was a lot of teams that were very good football teams in the Big 12. But for them to kind of say that they're winning the national championship, uh, you know what? I, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I think it's kind of funny. I think it's kind of funny that they're, they're throwing that uh, stick out there. But, but I mean, you can't, you can't uh, downplay what they were able to accomplish. I mean, it's I, I say any, anyone going undefeated is, is, is a pretty hard thing to do. And if you just go back and look what – TCU was able to do when they won the Rose Bowl. I mean, it's that was a a pretty good case for them to <laughs> claim a national championship if they wanted to, or you know, even a couple of years ago when when people were clamoring that even though TCU didn't make the playoffs, that they were really the best team in college football, and the and the committee did them wrong. So, uh, anyone that's talking about how the committee has has uh, done them wrong, um, TCU fans are obviously going to raise an eyebrow a little bit. And uh, 
you know, it, it's going to get their attention. But as far as the, uh, my opinion on the whole national championship thing, I, I probably wouldn't go out there and be leading it if I was UCF. But I was one of the guys that said when Big 12 expansion was happening that Big 12 should go try to get UCF because it would have been a good program and a good good city and, you know, it, it's a big university and everything else that, that you would like to have in a conference but uh, as a program in a conference. But the national championship, nah, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't think I – don't, I don't think I'd be printing up the T-shirts and, and selling them and, and certainly not having a parade for crying out loud. Good gracious. <laughs> now, Daniel, you well, go ahead. I want to hear what you think because, yeah, I want to hear what you think, buddy. Well, the thing is, if if they're actually believing that they are the national champions, they're idiots. What I like is it, it's not a message itself; it's what what what's behind it, and it's a slight to this whole process. This four teams nonsense, the ESPN bias. You know, um, I won't put on my foil hat, but it's a load of crap. Um, and that's what I like about it is they're saying, you know, we went undefeated. We beat Auburn who beat, you know, uh, Alabama and Georgia, um, who are in the title game. So, so by default, they should be national champion. Yeah. Um, I mean, we joked about that in 2014 that because, uh, Virginia, uh, Virginia tech beat, uh, Ohio state. Yeah. So they should be national champions. You know, we made that joke. So, it, it's not it's not a true statement like it's it's just um it's a way of saying this whole thing is a farce and i'm on board with that because it's i've seen it for too long now that it's um not fair so screw espn the crazy thing about it is they're spending millions of dollars in all this marketing that they're doing and and producing all these products like socks national championship yeah. socks or t-shirts that i've seen and it's you know they're willing to go out. They're weird. willing to go out there and spend the millions of dollars um, to put it out there. I mean that's that's what I that's what I don't understand. When t- who who uh, was ranked number one the year TCU won the Rose Bowl? Auburn. Who, Auburn beat Oregon. Okay, and they were undefeated with Cam Newton, right? Cam Newton. Auburn okay. and Oregon were both undefeated. And even though I think we could have beat neither of them, I don't think we should have been ranked ahead of them. Right. So that, yeah, that would have been a very hard argument. I mean, for TCU, yeah. but the thing about it is, is it, as good as a, it, a, an accomplishment it was for UCF to go undefeated, you hit the nail on the head, Jeff. They did not play a tough schedule. They only played Memphis. They beat Memphis twice. Yes, you, you beat a good team, but look who else just beat Memphis from the Big 12. Seven and yeah. five Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Okay. So does that mean Iowa State's better than UCF, too? I mean, or I, I don't know. So well, here's, I mean, it's, let's just put things in perspective. You're not, if you're going out there. Yeah. I, I'm not going to do the whole, what if thing. I, I hate the, what if thing sometimes, but it just, it, it's kind of, some people are going to love it. The fact that they're out there throwing the national championship around, but they're not the national champions. If they had to play the same kind of schedule, some of these teams played, Week in and week out, they wouldn't be sitting there at thirteen and zero or fourteen and zero. I can guarantee you that. I only push back on that because that's the same thing that TCU fans heard in for years, and and I yep. I, I understand the argument. I understand the argument even better now being in the Big Twelve. But part of my heart always cheers these guys on. But I guess this is the one thing I want to say about this. Um, well, two things. One, 
they are doing their job because we're on a podcast that essentially is obsessed with TCU and TCU recruiting and schedule. And we spent the last seven minutes talking about UCF. And so everything they've wanted, which is saturation to football fans that aren't aware of them, they have increased their awareness by the couple thousand people that are going to listen to this uh, podcast are all of a sudden going to spend time in the car thinking about UCF and coming up with their own arguments about it. Yeah. So mission accomplished. Good for you, Danny White, their AD. He's done it right. The second you know, thing is – go ahead. I can, I can guarantee you one thing. If Scott Frost does this at Nebraska, it's, we don't talk about it like this. Yeah. Promise no. you. No. In, but the second thing, and I think this is this is the problem with college – one of the problems with college football that they have to solve, which is what is the actual – what is the actual status of non-Power 5 conferences – because I think there's a dozen teams in, in a variety of non-power conferences that if they joined the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or, or the ACC, that they, they could be competitive. They could go 8-4. and four. I think UCF could um, become a better program than West Virginia in the Big 12. If they were given the money in five years, I guarantee you UCF would be better than West Virginia just because of social location, because of demographics, because of campus, because of – would you rather live in Morgantown or Orlando? I think they could do yeah, that. But, I agree. But the, uh, but the problem is most – like the MAC does not care about playoff access. They want the playoff money. And we might look at it as crumbs, but they love it because that's a couple more million dollars that's going to fund their women's volleyball program. And so they are grateful for those – what we would think of as crumbs are a significant infusion in their athletic department. I think there needs to be – I think there needs to be about 75 or 80 – power teams in a conference and that only play each other and then let them create basically a, a, a bigger version of FCS or take the top tier of FCS and merge it with the, with the 40 teams that are in the Sun Belt and in the Mac and, and some of them in, in, in the Mountain West and let them become another conference. Cause I would watch that, but I think, I think the permanent second class citizenship of UCF and Boise in, in programs like that. I think that's – I don't want to say that's unjust. That sounds a little heavy. But I don't think that's right. That's the best I got. Especially especially when it should be Baylor. Yes. So, exactly. yeah, they, need, they need to be knocked down a few pegs. I I would I think Baylor should go to the Sun Belt, but I've been advocating that for years. So or the or the the Lone Star Conference. So, all right, we we talked a lot about that. Let's get to all that really matters right now. You guys want to talk about some recruiting? Yes, sure. All right, Jeremy. Let's just start with this. We had the very first national signing day, the early signing day back in December. Just in your interaction with the staff and some other sources and even recruits, what, what, how does TCU feel about this early signing day? What are the pros and what are the cons? And what do you think is the feedback that you're getting from the people in the know? It's, uh, from a TCU's perspective, they love it. I mean, they love their early signing. They had 19 commitments, 18 signed early. And I'm telling you right now, the, the only the only thing that's going to be tough for them with this new early signing period is having official visits in the spring. I don't think you're going to see a lot of that happening because if you get kids so early in the spring, then you have the whole summer, then you have the whole season, and then the kid gets to sign in December. So you have so many months of other programs trying to come in and, and, and sway a kid's decision. If they come in and visit in the spring – 
they can't come back and visit in the fall. It's on official visits. They can come back unofficially as many times as they want, but um, I think that's the only negative side of it um, from what I'm what I've been told um, with the early signing period. But as far as everything else, I mean, you've got basically all of your commitments wrapped up. There's only one kid left unsigned with Darius Davis, and you still get to go out and recruit some of the kids that are were prime targets before signing day that they didn't sign with the programs um, that they're currently committed to. You have uh, Keandre Coburn committed to Texas, but he hasn't signed yet. He's going to visit later this month. Vernon Jackson is committed to Alabama. He didn't sign. He's going to visit later this month. And you got some uncommitted kids like Derek Turner or Darius Washington's another kid that's committed to LSU is probably going to visit later this month. And Jacoby Simpson, uncommitted player that they just offered out of uh, Aldine uh, MacArthur. So you've got a lot of, uh, you know, good, good reasons for having an early signing period because it locks up a majority of your class. I think if the stats showed nation, nationwide that 70 to 75% of the kids that were committed signed early. And so when, when you have that, the signing period in February, I, I think people are going to blink their eye and miss it. I, the big signing day for me now and for TCU especially, it's going to be in December. Because once you have those kids committed, it's about making them, not making them, but convincing them to sign. Because why else would you not sign if you weren't certain? So if they can get, you know, like they did the other day, 90% of their guys to sign, then they can start focusing on the rest of their 18 targets, which they have about seven spots left, I guess, five to seven spots. And then now what we saw the other day, they can start putting their focus toward the 2019 class. They'll have a junior day later this month, probably the last weekend of January, um, and, and pushing forth their focus on the 2019 class. So it's, uh, it's, it's getting a lot of uh, positive reviews around the Justin Center over there in Fort Worth. That sounds good. I think uh, I know Patterson has mentioned a couple times. Mike Gundy said almost the same thing that they love being able to lock these guys up that want to sign and not have other people coming in and trying to cherry pick and poach them between now and February. And all of that energy can go to getting kids on campus, getting kids to sign rather than holding on to a guy that's like, well, you know, maybe I will go take a visit to, you know, Tennessee. Maybe I will go take a visit to, right. to Oklahoma. Right. You know, you don't have to worry about that anymore. And I think we got a lot that's- of guys that people would have focused on. That's the biggest thing because it, I, I know TCU fans always get excited for January because you, they always have done a great job of flipping kids late in the process. But at the same time, it is such such a stressful part of the recruiting cycle for coaches because they're trying to hang on to their kids just as much as they're trying to recruit remaining targets. You know what I mean? So it's not like they're going to go out. You see all these stories, well, the coaches weren't showing me that much love, this and that. The coaches are showing as much love to the to the guys that are currently committed as they are to the guys that they're targeting. And now with this early signing period, now you don't have to put so much focus into show quote unquote showing the love to the guys that you still have committed. I call that you can go and put yeah exactly. So now you can you can push all that focus now to the remaining targets that you have that you want to fill for your for your recruiting class. And I think that's what they love so much about it is now they, they don't have to worry about the babysitting aspect of, of uh, the recruiting. Now they can go out there and and do the courting part of recruiting and, and uh, try to nail some of these guys down. 
Well, let's just take a real quick look here at, at who's left on the big board for the 2018 class. Let me just give you a couple names. Tell me what you know, anything that's changed in the last week and a half since we talked about it. Uh, Corbin out of Florida, running back that we got on campus, had his eyes open when he visited TCU. He's had a couple other offers come in as well as a new coach on the ground in Willie Taggart at Florida State. Where do the Frogs stand with Corbin that you know of? Uh, they're in good shape, but I, I ultimately think he's going to end up at Florida State. I know the A&M offer opened his eyes a little bit, um, but I, I think he's going to stay home. I know Looper's done a great job recruiting him, and you know TCU obviously opened up his eyes a little bit, but he's only he's only been to TCU one time, and that was just for a couple of days, and it's really hard for some of those bigger prospects, especially someone that was committed to Florida State before, to, to just – um, go off, you know, thousands of miles away from home and, and, and try to, to play somewhere where you really don't know a whole lot about. Again, Looper's done a great job recruiting him. He's, done, he's got a great relationship with him. But I think uh, along with several others think he's going to end up at Florida State, especially with Willie Taggart back over there. Yeah, I think you might be right. Let's look over at the boot. We got our Darius Washington from the Shreveport-Bossier area, committed to LSU, did not sign early. Um, there's talks about, you know, is there room in this class? Is he given a serious look to TCU? I saw a whole internet rumor that he already sent his letter into TCU. You know, there's just all kinds of internet stuff out there that's that's fun and crazy at this time of year. But where do the frogs stand with our Darius Washington? Do you think he'll ultimately end up in Fort Worth? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think a lot of it's going to depend on how LSU ends up recruiting them. Um, I've had so many people tell me right now that, and I know a lot of people have read it on message boards, that they feel LSU is not going to sign them, that they're going to figure out a way to kind of push them out, I guess you could say. Um, and it's funny because a lot of LSU fans are kind of looking at uh, other kids that they're recruiting, saying he's better They're better than our Darius and everything else. And I can say from a TCU perspective, they're, they're still recruiting him and he's going to be up this month to visit. And he's been on campus before he was on campus during the season. And he's, he was on campus over the summer when he was committed to LSU. I know he's got a lot of friends that um, go to TCU that are going to go to TCU like Justin Rogers. And uh, I, I think TCU has a very, very good chance. I'm going to wait and see what LSU does first. If, 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 it comes out. It, I, I think the writing will be on the wall. Let's just say this: I think the writing will be on the wall if Ardarius comes out and says he's decommitting from LSU. Then at that point, I think I think TCU is going to be where he ends up. It's kind of an interesting spot though, because they're taking they're looking at some safety prospects. You got Derek. You got uh, Ardarius Washington and Derek Turner, and Derek Turner's a, a really good player too that they like a lot. He's a 10-5. 100 meter guy and everyone knows that Gary Patterson loves speed on defense and if you can get a, a guy like Derek Turner then you might have to take a serious look at him yeah. too. Well, let's go to Southern Louisiana. Jamar Chase, let's let's begin there. You said on this podcast uh, not all that long ago that the Frogs were in a great spot and that our, uh, uh, that his dad said that uh, that he was really excited about TCU. Is Jamar Chase, are the Frogs still in a good spot here? Because I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. When a kid from South Louisiana has an offer from LSU on the table, I, I just don't ever see him getting out of South Louisiana. Do you think he's going to end up at, at the, with the Frogs, or is he going to become a Tiger? Well, I felt a lot more comfortable a couple weeks ago than I do now, um, especially after he's been on record saying he doesn't know whether or not TCU is going to be among his final schools. Um, yeah, I mean – I mean, recruiting is a funny thing, guys. It changes from day to day and sometimes from hour to hour. I mean, we could all agree with that. 
And, uh, you know, as funny as the things I was hearing um, from several people regarding Chase and, you know, I, I will admit I never talked to uh, Jamar, never talked to his dad, but I know enough people that are close enough to the situation that were telling me some, some responses from the visit and, it made, you know, made me feel pretty comfortable, but I, but I know right now, as far as, uh, him ending up at TCU, I don't like the chances and, and a few people that I've uh, talked with, um, around the program don't feel real good about it either. So I, I would, I would tell TCU fans to proceed with caution. And, uh, I guess, you know, some of our guys like to say they like, like to get the 10 cup on before they get the <laughs> before they get the crotch kick so go ahead and strap that strap that go, thing go, on uh, sort and, through uh, the top drawer hey, I, well, I tell you what don't even go sort through the top drawer i'm telling you right now just prepare yourself don't don't even don't even get excited enough to think you have to pull it out <laughs> just uh just go ahead when you open up that drawer and you see it just remember hey jeremy said on the podcast that we really don't have a chance, so I don't need this. And just close the drawer real slow, and you'll be all right. That's right. Step away from the drawer. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, his buddy uh, Aaron Brule. Do we feel? Do, do the frogs feel like they're in a in a in a spot to be able to secure his signature? I've seen some other programs that have come here, come in Arkansas <laughs> and Oklahoma State and Tennessee. Um, where do the frogs stand with him? Uh, the last, the last thing I heard is they, they're still in very good shape with him. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, I think it was today, Sunday, I think Thursday or Friday, someone had told me that TCU still out in the lead for them, for him. And, uh, um, that's where they expect him to be. But I think, uh, obviously Arkansas is going to be tough to beat Tennessee and any of those SEC schools are going to be tough to beat, but TCU's done a good job recruiting them, um, it, it, they've done everything they can. If he doesn't want to be at TCU, it's going to be at his own accord. It's not going to be um, for any uh, result of TCU not heavily recruiting him enough. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what he does because he does have some official visits he's going to take later this month. And um, that's the one bad thing about, again, with the early signing period, because you had to have some of those. Uh, the, the last time you could officially visit before signing early signing period was December 15th. So, you're talking about over almost a month ago since he's been on campus. So the, the excitement and everything else around the program kind of wears off for some kids. And I don't want to say that's happening with, with Aaron at all, but when he has a chance to go out and see some of these other schools, hopefully the, uh, the effect of seeing something different doesn't, doesn't have an effect on what he thought with TCU. Speaking of linebacker, um, how, how many linebackers are, are in, are in the pool right now for, for the frogs? Who do they, who do they have an offer on the table to that think it's committable? And, uh, you know, other than Aaron, where, where do the frogs stand with a couple of, of these other offers that have gone out in the last couple of weeks? So specifically, uh, Jacoby Simpson. Well, that, that was a funny offer because uh, he, he reopened his, his uh, recruitment, decommitted from Arizona State, uh, went and visited Kansas State. So a lot of people thought, you know, are thinking he's going to end up a Wildcat. But TCU offered, and I checked with several people and just making sure if this offer was legit and it was a committable offer. And they said very much so. And, and, uh, it, it, it all along they've had, they've had the idea of taking at least two, two linebackers. Now, having said that, I think with, with Aaron, he's kind of one of those tweener kids where he's, he's kind of like Garrett Wallow was last year. He's, he's a big safety, but he can slide down and play linebacker. But if he, doesn't do good at linebacker, he can slide back and play safety. 
And I think that's what you have with Aaron is he's just one of those players. You got to take a chance. If he wants to come to TCU, you've got to take him and figure out later on, do I want to put him at safety or do I want to put him at linebacker? And with Jacoby Simpson, he's just a straight up linebacker, 6'1", 228. He goes from sideline to sideline real fast. He's got big 12 speed. So um, for them to offer him this late in the process means – I don't think – a lot of people are going to say, well, they're they're reaching for something. They're reaching – it's just one of these classic guys that comes through the process late, has a real good senior year. More teams are starting to look at him, and, and uh, uh, it, it happens with a lot of players this time of year in January where they just had, you know, small, small interest from smaller programs. Or, or in his case, he wasn't really getting – uh, small programs. I mean, he was committed to Arizona State and Kansas State's obviously obviously came in. And um, you know how the saying goes: when 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 a when a kid gets a TCU offer, other programs look at that. Well, I I can tell you when Kansas State offers a kid, it does open Gary Patterson's eyes because he respects so much the way Bill Snyder recruits and and handles the guys he goes after. And so when, when a guy has an offer from Kansas State, it does it does hold some weight to some of the guys TCU's you going know, I, after too. And so I that, that kind of that kind of convinced me before I even talked to anyone that Jacoby Simpson offer was legit. I can't believe he didn't want to play for Herm Edwards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that plays the joke out there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh man, well I feel like we could talk about 2018 class for for another hour here, but just let me let me do let me ask you about two more guys and then I want to flip to the topic and, and get to some more recruiting questions for the 2019 class. Is there any chance that uh, Jalen Waddle becomes a frog? Yes or no? One percent. Okay. okay, that's kind of what I figured. Um, that's kind of what I figured. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance. There's a chance. So you're saying? I don't like to sugar. I, I mean, I, I know everyone knows I don't like to sugarcoat things. So I, I would just tell people, okay. no, there's there's no chance. I think he's going to be at A and M or Florida State, and I think it's I think it's going to be A and M. To be honest with you, what about uh, Coburn? Is there any chance that we pull the big de- that the frogs pull the big defensive tackle out of Houston? <laughs> that, that that was a that was a good one. Um, I. That's a tough one, Jeff. That is really a tough one because the good news for him is that he didn't get to he didn't get to visit TCU last month, where he was supposed to come in that weekend of December fifteenth for that last last week. They were trying to get him in there to make sure he wouldn't sign with Texas. Well, the good news is he didn't sign with Texas, so he still gets to go out and visit, and he's going to visit later this month. But I think the fact that Texas, uh, if you like to admit it or not, they did look pretty decent in the in the uh, texas bowl the, the way they beat up missouri and orlando's coming back the bag. yeah oh gosh i'm gonna get started <laughs> i um, thought baker but, secured the bag against kansas true okay. but they have i mean texas has done a good job um staying on them but the fact of the matter fact of the matter is is he's he's not 100 percent committed to texas so, so there's something there whether it's a&M or TCU, a lot of people are saying the reason he didn't sign with Texas was because of A&M. Oh, my gosh. I I don't think that's true. No. It, the, that's the fact not why. You can, you can look at on archives through our message boards and find where I've been talking about Zarnell Fitch still recruiting Coburn and, and Coburn listening. I mean, it goes back several months. 
at least two months, even after he committed to Texas, that we were still talking about it. So TCU has gotten his ears. Arnell Fitch has done a fantastic job recruiting him. And I, I want TCU does have a chance. It, it, it's, it's a lot better chance than what they have with Waddle for sure. Um, but the fact of the matter is, I, I don't know if they will be able to do enough to get him convinced enough to, to go away from, from Texas. And I, I don't want to say the kids enamored by the bright lights, but I, he had a chance to commit to TCU before and he didn't. And yeah. I don't know if they've really done much to convince him otherwise. I mean, they had a great year. I mean, if you're, if you're coming into a kid's house and, and all you're presenting, okay. Cue the, uh, negative recruiting music, Daniel. I don't, I mean, we need to have that. Yeah. When we start, when we start talking the negative recruit recruiting, <laughs> okay, you can stop now. Um, you're throwing me off now with the piano. The, the negative recruiting TCU has right now is they finished number one in total defense in the Big 12, number one in rush defense, number one in pass defense, number one in scoring defense, number one in sacks. And that's that's a good recruiting. I mean, if you're a defensive lineman and you're – your parents and you're listening to all this. Not not only do you have the good graduation rate, but here you're coming into a situation where TCU is so good at this particular position. Not to mention that Ross Blacklock had a phenomenal year. Corey Bethley had a great year, and they're both freshmen. So that that shows you that you can come in if you work hard enough. You can play early and get you know get early playing time. But I, I'm just not. I'm, I'm, I'm dragging this question out because I'm just not convinced <laughs> that it's not, it, it's enough to, uh, enough to sway him away. One guy you haven't talked about or asked about is Tyree Wilson, Tyree Wilson. I think TCU has a better chance of getting than Coburn. Okay. Well, he's visiting Texas the last weekend before signing day. So that always makes me uncomfortable, but that's, that's the one, that's the one school that I, I don't want to say. I don't want, I don't like to say anything about kids liking the bright lights, but I think, you know, before Tyree committed to A&M, he was nearly a lock for TCU. Yeah. I mean, every, I, I talked to several people out there saying he was going to commit to TCU, then A&M offered and all of a sudden he's going to A&M. So out of the, out of what he has left, not to degrade TCU in any way. I mean, TCU's got it done on the field against Texas, but there's still the, program of the state of texas i mean everyone still looks at it the uncles and everyone else cousins relatives or whatever still identify texas as being the premier school in texas as far as the name goes as far as just the name across the front of the jersey so i, I was think, i was told uh, that's a and i was told they run the state no no they don't <laughs> um but they oh. the the, the oh. fact that he's going there to austin it it, it is worrisome um but you never know. TCU might have a chance to uh, get him in there. I know he's supposed to visit this month. Since he's going to Austin last month, he'll probably be in not this weekend, but the next weekend. And Arkansas is another team that is heavily recruiting him too. And obviously A&M still after him. So it, it, his recruitment could go down to the wire. 
Well, let's flip gears here. Let's look at the 2019 class. We had a lot of offers. The Frogs gave out a lot of offers on Friday night, um, several significant offers on the 2019 class. We're going to have to learn a whole new batch of names, a whole new batch of schools, and you know where they're interested in and who gave them their first offer and who was their first Power 5 offer. Some of these are from Daniel's neighborhood right out there in Alito. Jeremy, just walk us through a couple of those guys that, that picked up an offer. I know they're going to be a familiar names to some Frog fans. I'll give you all five. Why? Uh, I'll give you the order that they got them. Wyatt Harris, Colt Ellison, and then you had uh, William Jones out of Mansfield Summit. Then you had Hunter Spears, and then Darwin Barlow out of Newton. Anyone that watched the state championship games had to see uh, Barlow from Newton. I mean, the kid is a phenomenal running back and another small-town kid. I love the small-town kids from the towns of – population underneath 6,000. I love, I love those kids from the small towns that just go out and do big things. Um, but the two Alito kids, I, I had a, had an idea that was coming. If you guys didn't catch on to that on the board. And I mean, it was, it was, uh, uh, one of those, especially with Wyatt TCU has been on him for a while. Obviously his two older brothers play at TCU with, with Wes and Hunter and, and, uh, Wyatt, um, for those that don't know a whole lot of his background, I mean, he's, he's been on Alito's varsity since his freshman year. And when you're on Alito's varsity since your freshman year, that's saying something, uh, especially with the, the history they have of, of being such a good program. But as a freshman, his dad told me he was six foot 165, and now he's six two and a half, two eighteen. 218. Um, that's officially what he measured in the other day in offseason. He hasn't played, he hasn't played linebacker the last two years. He, uh, but he was all district outside linebacker his freshman year. Um, so he knows the position and he'll come up and knock, knock the snot out of you. I mean, he will, he will come out and just lay the wood on you. He reminds me not to bring any bad juju onto the podcast or, uh, onto the board, but he kind of reminds me of Mike freeze. Cause Mike freeze was kind of the same, cue, kind of the, the same. Music, Daniel. Cue the music. I, I know. Hey, listen, speaking hey, of, I have a question right about Mike freeze. He's not the January surprise. Okay? Oh, dang. Um, okay. So, uh, no, I know Harry, Wyatt comes from a outstanding family. I mean, that, that family is an awesome family. Um, mom, dad, brothers. I mean, it, there is no, nothing to uh, worry about from outside influences on, on that end. But, you know, that, uh, that was a great offer. I was I was happy for uh, TC to go out and offer offer Wyatt. I mean, I saw him last year at the camp. Uh, Jeff, you were at that camp yes. when we when we saw him, and uh, he ran a four six at that camp, and he did it at two twelve. I think he weighed two twelve that day. And I was I was when I saw him, I was like, man, you you've added some good weight. How much you weigh? And he told me two twelve, and then he goes out and runs a four six later at the camp, and and that was that was pretty good. Um, for him to do that. And that's what I think he's going to end up being. He'll, he'll play at six, three, probably two twenty five, um, two thirty in college and, and kind of be like a Ty Summers. I, I, I can see a lot of, uh, Ty Summers and him as well, as, as far as the, the, the size he can get to and, and the kind of speed he can have out there on the football field. Colt Ellison was another good offer. I saw Colt last year at the prime 21 camp. He actually plays defensive end, um, for Alito, but he was playing linebacker at that camp and he moves around pretty well. And I, I think TCU did a really good job offering these kids as early as they did, because sometimes when you have, especially with Wyatt's case, sometimes when you have that um, family connection, you can, you can wait a little while. You know, we've seen it so many times with either legacy players or players that have, or younger brothers of other players where TCU just kind of, waited 
for a while to offer the kids because they felt that they can get them anytime throughout the process. And Oklahoma was really looking hard at Wyatt. I mean, they still are looking hard at Wyatt and he's getting a lot of interest from other programs and it was good for TCU to jump out front and offer him right now because I think they put themselves in a great position with not only Wyatt, but with Colt. If they go over there to that junior day later this month and the coaching staff shows them as much attention as they, as they want to see a lot of that one-on-one attention, then I think it's going to be a great start. Uh, they've only got, they've already got a great start to class with Donovan Collins, but I think it will be a great addition with Wyatt and Colt. Cause from what I understand, if, if everything goes well, then I would not be shocked at all to see, both those kids commit on the spot once they go over there for that junior day. Um, the guy that, that yeah. I want to hear about is Hunter Spears, defensive lineman out of, out of Saxe. What, what do you know about him? Man, he is such a great kid. I've known Hunter since before he was a freshman. I met him over there at the uh, – when they used to have the satellite camps before they before the NCAA put an end Thanks, to them. Harbaugh. Um, Thanks, Harbaugh. T- yeah, no kidding. TCU used to have a camp over there, a satellite camp in Plano every year, and I met Hunter – over there with a bunch of other sacks of kids. And when I first met Hunter and they told me he was a class of uh, 20, you know, 2019 kid here, he was, he was, I think 14 or 15 at the time. I couldn't believe it. Cause he was already a big kid, but you're talking about a kid that didn't even play last year. So they're basically offering him based off his sophomore film. He didn't play this past year because he got hurt at one of those rivals camps, tore up his knee. So he couldn't play at all. He did, he missed his entire junior season, but he's still getting the locks of Notre Dame, Alabama, and all these Texas Tech, all these other big schools that are still coming after him pretty hard because he was so good his freshman and sophomore years. He's 6'4", 290, and TCU put themselves in a really good position last year at uh, at the camp. Jeff, you were at it. He stayed there all. He stayed there from morning till the end of the camp at night. Did you ever see him do one rep? No, he didn't do anything at that camp except go up there and hang out with the coaches all day. He's built a great relationship with Coach he Sharp. It, yeah. Uh, he, he, yeah, he he loves the fact that TCU's close to home. Um, and crazy story, I, I, I was at my daughter's volleyball tournament today, and lo and behold, I walk in, and at the front desk is Hunter Spears. And so I talked to him for a minute. It was like, you know, great catching up because I hadn't seen him since last, last summer when he was up at TCU. And he's just, man, he is such a good kid. I mean, he is the kind of character, has the type of character you want in TCU's program. He, he is just a good kid. And uh, watching watching him on tape, I mean, he would, he would excel in TCU's defense. And we were just having short talk today. And I said, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I saw that you're going up to Notre Dame. And, and so that's why I didn't even ask you if you were going over to uh, TCU's. And he said, well, I don't know if I'm going to go to Notre Dame. I'll probably end up going over to TCU just because – Notre Dame, their defensive coordinator is the A and M now, and he goes, and I'm not going to A and M. He said, I do not like A and M, so I don't think we have to worry about the Aggies in this situation. Now they may come out and offer them, because if you get a, if the defensive coordinator is offering you while he's at Notre Dame, then you're certainly good enough uh, to get an offer while you're at A and M. So I wouldn't be surprised if A and M came into the picture at all for him, but. Yeah, it was kind of funny for him for him to say that, and he could have just been, you know, joking around or whatever. But he seemed he seemed pretty serious when he said it. But I think TCU's in a good spot for him. I, again, with same thing with Wyatt and Colt, I think it meant a lot for him to get an offer from TCU and and for them to show him that hey, even though you missed your junior season, we still think you're a phenomenal athlete based on the film that you produced 
your freshman and sophomore year and, and you're a great character kid. So that's why we want you as part of our program. And, and he said, he talked to coach Patterson the other night and he said it was a great conversation and coach Patterson was real pumped up about, you know, the way he thinks Hunter can excel in the uh, defense over there. So I would, I would keep an eye on him. I don't think he's going to be one of those kids that commits early, but I think TCU is definitely going to be one of those programs that is going to stay in the picture for him for, for, you know, throughout the process. Anything else from the the other two guys that we offered in nineteen? Oh yeah, we, oh yeah. Wait. Go right ahead, bud. But William James is uh, he's he's a phenomenal. I, I'll be honest, I haven't I hadn't seen much of him at all um, before the offer went out. I heard there was a, a pretty good cornerback over there at Mansfield Summit, but uh, as far as uh, after watching his film, Jones is. I mean, he is he is a good player. This is. Another one, another one that TCU went out and offered first, and he's a TCU fan. I mean, he's 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 a local guy. I mean, who's the last guy TCU got out of Summit? Anyone care to take a guess? Vernon Scott. Vernon Scott. There you, there go. you go. So, I mean, this this is a kid that's five ten. He's one sixty five. So, who's that remind you of? Anthony Tejada, Julius Lewis, Tony Jam. I mean, basically every kind of corner they've recruited the past few classes. And the thing that that Jones has, which again Gary Patterson and the rest of his defensive staff love, is speed. I mean, this guy is a twenty one point two four two hundred meter guy. I mean, that is flying, fellas. That is just flat out flying any 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 long jumps 23 feet he triple jumps something like 47 feet so when you have a guy that is is as good as he is in track and, and and as he is on the football field that's that's a good uh recipe to have for a tcu cornerback because that's that's the one thing they they like and people are going to say well you need to recruit taller corners and this and that they just finished with the number one pass defense in the conference with the five foot 10 corner and Anthony Tejada, <clears throat> excuse me, a five foot 10 weak safety in Nick Orr and a five foot 10 free safety in uh, Nico Small. So size doesn't always matter unless you're playing Oklahoma. Unless you're playing Oklahoma. One last name I wanted to bring up here, uh, Dylan Wright. He, I think he was at one of the seven on sevens today. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about him. He seems like a highly rated player. I believe he's out of Mesquite. He said he has a good relationship with the Rager family. Yeah. And he, he's a pretty highly rated four-star wide receiver. Yeah, he he was originally at Ennis, and he transferred to Mesquite Horn before the season started. But uh, he he's another kid that I saw for the first time last year at the uh, Pylon National Championship. Uh, he was really under the radar at that time. Every, he was the best receiver for true buzz um the seven on seven team but not a lot of people not a lot of colleges knew about him because i think he was trying to play quarterback before realizing he was six foot four and 190 pounds and can run like the wind and, and jump over anyone and catch catch footballs he was a basketball player too and so he's he was an aau basketball player and just really coming into his own as a football player and Basically, the way it happened is all these all these teams started recruiting him as a receiver. And after the Prime 21 camp last year, he, he had another great camp performance, did his thing against some of the top defensive backs in the country. 
started to get on more radars. TCU eventually offered him. TCU, I think, has a, a great chance to get him because uh, Monte Rager, which is Jalen Rager's dad, has such a great relationship with the family. And I think with without you know just really giving him all the credit, I think it was probably Monte just telling TCU about uh, Dylan and, and, and letting them know that, Hey, this, this kid is legit. Cause he was telling them about him when he was even down at Ennis and, and telling TCU like, Hey, keep an eye on this kid. And I think it just, I, I think he was a big reason that TCU got on him and stayed on him and, and, and eventually offered him. But I think the relationship with, uh, with the Rager family and, and, uh, the rights is, is going to go a long way for TCU. Um, and, to be honest, guys, they're not going to take a lot of receivers in 2019. I mean, they just stink and sign six or seven of them this class. And Darius Davis is the only guy they haven't signed, and he's another receiver prospect. And so 2019, <laughs> you may only have one receiver out of that whole class. Can you believe that? One receiver. Yeah. And I know that I know that Wright is either 1A or 1B. At, at, at this time, Garrett Wilson yeah. out of Lake Travis is the other guy that they really like. Um, but yeah, I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Wright ends up being a frog. If TCU keeps recruiting them the way they do. Okay. All right. Just a couple more quick questions here, Daniel, I'm going to go with you on a scale of one to 10. How do you grade Houston's hire at offensive coordinator? I was really wanting to get some feedback from you on the hiring of Kendall Bryles. I'm going to have to go with um, rape point five. <laughs> I cannot believe that Houston hired Kendall Bryles. I can I cannot believe. Did Major Applewhite not learn anything from Coach P the other night? He did not. Major Applewhite has. A sexual misconduct. I don't want to relitigate this, and I don't want to judge a guy. I don't, I don't want to. He he should know better. He had a bad experience at University at, at Texas that he did him that he brought on himself. Um, that was less than gentlemanly. We'll just put it that way. And then just, he had Brenda Tracy on campus this last spring to talk about the importance of manhood and integrity and that you know men like you set the standard for respect and stand against sexual violence. And then he hires Kendall Bryles. I cannot believe I, that. I, I'll say this. I'm all up for second chances in life. Okay, We've yep. all made mistakes. All I'm with you. I just, I just cannot believe that Houston would allow like the, the athletic directors and, and the administration and the board of directors and everything else would allow them to hire Kendall Browse with such a black cloud that's still over him and his whole family. He's but still named in a, in a Title IX lawsuit. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the crazy thing about it. It's like you, you're, you read the reports that he's been hired and you're just kind of waiting for the reports that said – Oh, never mind. He's not hired. That's that's kind of like where I'm at right now. Where where's oh, the going to be? Where he's? Oh, never mind. We we're just messing with y'all. He's not really hired. Yeah, I figured they'll dump it at halftime of the national title game. They'll do a, a Baylor esque news dump. But I guess no, they're I desperate. Can, they must be. I mean, are there not? Again, there are yeah, so I'm, many qualified people that can put up points on the AAC, and they hire Kendall Bryles. And again, I, 
I'm like I said, I'm I'm for second chances, and I'm not defending the guy whatsoever. That's why I'm just I'm just kind of like, what in the world is Houston doing? What what are they what are they trying to do? I, I don't understand. I don't get it. it. Not a not a smart decision, in my opinion. No, not a, not a smart decision in my opinion either. And you know, I I don't want to I don't want to get all preachy on this, and I really go on my way to not sound preachy, but. There's a big difference between a second chance on a DUI or, or even, you know, just be blunt, even infidelity. Like, you know, it's terrible. You shouldn't do that. But that's not the same as what seemed to be a culture of cover up and violence against women. And you got a report that the university received from outside counsel that said, this is your culture. This is what's going on. And it, they fired the most successful coach in history of their program. Uh, and then Houston's like, no, we want that guy to be our offense coordinator. That sounds good to me. I can't. I still cannot believe that. I still cannot believe that. Well, on a positive note, you guys got anything else to add before we we wrap up here? We just literally <laughs> hit hit an hour here. Uh, we got a lot of good recruiting stuff. We got uh, some good recap of the Alamo Bowl. What about um, the questions from the board? Well, you know, we got through a bunch of those on recruiting, but uh, let me pull it up here. We got got a lot of redundancies, and then a few things I don't think you want to talk about. But let, let's give it a shot here. We'll just see what happens. Okay. What do you got on transfers? Tell us what you got on guys transferring out or possibly even transferring in. And whatever you do, if you could just be really vague and give people something to talk about for weeks on end, I would love that because I love watching the board lose their mind. But what do you got on transfers? Well, I can say that <laughs> the, the Ty Summers transfer was a big uh, – I don't know where that would have started. I mean, but uh, the people I talked to said that he's looking forward to coming back and being a captain for TCU, so – um, that must have been an outside influence on that deal. As far as guys, uh, other guys transferring out, I think we'll start to see more of that within the next, if there are, big if. Now, people listen. If there are transfers out of the program, we'll probably start to see that in the next week as, as classes uh, they resume, not this coming Monday, but the following Monday. Uh, yeah. don't even June know what 16th. day that is June 16th, June 16th or January no, Jan- 16th, me, January, January. Okay. January 16th. Then, then I, I think we'll start to see something. If there is, if there is sometime this week, um, as far as uh, graduate transfers in, I, I've, I, I said it on the board. Uh, a couple of people tell me that there was uh, some people that reached out, now, I'm not saying that they're coming. They reached out to TCU to kind of gauge their interest. A um, couple offensive linemen. But as far as uh, transfers in, I, I don't have that number. Um, or if there's even going to be a number, guys. I mean, I, I'm just being you know, really frank with everyone. I, I, I really don't know at this time. Um, as far as the – if the January surprise happens, if Austin Ani comes in TCU, he wouldn't be considered a transfer. He'd be a walk-on. Um, he would be paying or baseball would be paying for his college tuition. But a few weeks ago, it was uh, TCU was in a really, really good position. But now Arkansas seems to be le- leading for him. And I wouldn't eat. I might have even missed it. I mean, he might end up he might be going to Arkansas already. And I just don't know it. But I know Arkansas was uh, was the team that that really had had come into the picture for him of, of late. And he made an unofficial visit to Arkansas. Uh, the weekend of December fifteenth, and so we'll we'll see where he ends up going because I mean classes classes start here pretty quick and 
I don't know when they start up at Arkansas, but I mean, as far as uh, TCU goes, if he's on campus on Monday, then we all know he's going to be um, going out and uh, playing football for the Frogs. I was trying to come up with a good joke about when classes started in Arkansas, but I couldn't come up with anything that quick. <laughs> I was too. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I was, I was, I was thinking real fast there, and then you had a short sentence. I'm just like, oh crap, I can't come up with anything. Yeah, I finally, uh, I finally said a March. Right. It starts in March and ends in March. That's, I think that's kind of it. Oh man! All right, we had a, we had a lot of questions about transfers. I, I mean, you can't comment on it. I know that we had, we had a, a graduate transfer that's announced from uh, from Rice, offensive lineman, and then uh, McMillan seems to be the guy floating around. I've heard both ways. So he's great. Good, could be a grand grad transfer from Texas. I've heard he's both looking to possibly do a grad transfer. I've heard he's looking at TCU. I've also heard he might just retire from football. He's got a degree from Texas yeah. and might want to just go make money, which is why you go to college. So that's yeah, same thing I've heard. Yeah. Same thing I've heard on that, and, and and that's one of the guys when I mentioned the two. That's that's kind of the that, that was one McMillan's one of the ones that I'd kind of heard about that they were uh, trying to figure some things out. But um, you know, as far as uh, the Anderson kid out of Rice, I haven't heard his name mentioned at all. Um, but. You know, crazier things happen. These these things happen this time of year when guys go out of the program. I'm sure, with uh, social media the way it is now, we'll we'll see about it on uh, on Twitter or Instagram or wherever Snapchat, wherever um, the player wants to announce that he's either transferring or you know just uh, quitting football altogether. Hey, big news! Ben Banigou's coming back. I don't know where you guys heard Ooh, that uh, a few days before he announced that, but I, he's he's coming back. I heard that on an inside source on a Texas board. They told me that Ben. Oh no, wait a minute, TCU board. Yeah, our our boy uh, Jeremy Clark was all over that. First to break it. First to say this is what I'm hearing. Um, you know, Jeremy's in the know. If you haven't figured this out, if you're giving somebody else nine bucks a month to cover the details of this program, you're whether that's a Star Telegram or anybody else, you need to stop doing that. But Jeremy's all over that. There's my little pub for this you. This one buddy. was easy. This, hey, I appreciate that, man. I'm, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but uh, it is it is fun to uh, be right on some of those things when you hear. And I've been up front with guys, all you guys over the years. It, it takes a lot to convince me. Like I'm, I'm really like I, I told, I told the edge a little bit. I'm, I'm, even if someone tells me a hundred times, hey, this is happening, I still like it still has to click with me. Uh, but this was one of those situations where I had so many people tell me he's told the coaches, he's told the players, he's coming back, this and that, and I was confident enough to where if I put it out there, he wasn't going to come out a day later and say I'm declaring for the NFL draft. So, not, not, I'm not going to say I was like totally like scooping everyone else on it i just had enough information to where i felt comfortable telling you guys hey this is what i'm hearing and that's huge i mean when you think that you got banagoo coming back obviously blacklock and bethley down in the in the trenches hopefully brandon bowen's going to be able to do something up front you won't be able to replace matt bozen but that'll be a a potential uh, uh impact player that's going to be a really salty front four and Manigou staying is, is a huge step towards compete for another big 12 title so if he yeah that was that was crazy because i mean you you look at I still go back to several months ago when Mel Kiper first had his little mock draft and Ben was on there and we're talking to Ben during the, uh, the media luncheon and we offer up, Hey, have you seen what Mel Kiper says? He, he predicts you as a first round pick. And 
you can tell, you can sincerely see, or he was sincere about being shocked about that report. You know, he had no idea that he was already getting mentioned as even being a prospect for the NFL draft because Ben's a smart player. Ben's a smart kid overall. And he kind of knew that, why is this guy projecting me as a first round pick when I haven't even played that much football? And, you know, all these, all these players, when they have a choice to declare early, they, they can send off and get a report back from the NFL where the NFL thinks they'll be, be picked. And from what I was told, it doesn't really break it down unless you're a first or second round pick. And after that, it tells you to go back to school. And the report that Ben got back was go back to school. And that's one of those deals where he's, he's kind of a tweener too. I think he's going to be a stand-up guy in, in, at the next level. I think he could be a stand-up in the 3-4. And so I think, I think NFL scouts want to see more game film, film on him. He obviously had a great year um, for Gary, but he's only played 27 games in college. So I think having one more one more season under his belt is going to be great for him. And I think by this time next year that we will be talking about Ben being a uh, uh, potential first-round pick. Yeah, I think you could be right. And that's obviously a huge news coming back for next season. And I think good for him. He, there's a big difference between, between being a fifth-round fifth pick and a late first-round pick. Huge Big big difference on your paycheck, from what I know, in my in my deep experience of professional football. So, uh, well, anything else you guys want to talk about before we wrap up here? We've gone well over an hour, and um, this will this will fill you up on a commute sitting on six thirty five. But anything else you guys want to uh, highlight before we wrap up the show here? We didn't even talk about basketball. Yeah, I was about to say the the frogs need to get better defensively inside the Stop paint. Shooting threes, they need to, hit, need to hit shots. Yeah. If they're going to shoot threes, they need to hit yeah. them. And that's that's two that's two games, boys. That they've or three games that they've. I mean, they ended up beating Baylor, but man, the Oklahoma game was right there for the taking. Kansas was right there. For, you can very easily be talking about a three and O team in the Big Twelve and still undefeated, and and part, probably by this time, if they win over Oklahoma and win over Kansas, we're probably waking up today. And seeing that TCU's ranked in the top five. Oh yeah, and Mich- Michigan State lost to Ohio State today. They could be looking at number one. I mean, I know, that, I know that's ridiculous and a whole bunch of what ifs, but I think we can all agree the Big Twelve is is an ugly gauntlet. And if you can come out of that thing five hundred, you're you're a good team. You are a good team. Oh, Daniel, you got any parting thoughts for us before we uh, wrap this show up? Not really. All right. Well, let's uh, <laughs> let's bring this thing to a to a to a screeching halt here. I appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate everybody. Uh, I appreciate everybody's encouragement to to me online over the last couple of weeks. Kind of been a rough couple of weeks here in my house. I really appreciate all of that. It meant a meant a lot to me to get some support from this TCU family, and it is, it is a good connection, man. There's I know I don't know most of you, but you are you've been uh, you're good friends, and you've been very supportive. I really appreciate that. So for Jeremy and for Daniel, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.